G'day and welcome to Happy Little Histories, the show that wonders why Australians do the things we do and looks back at history to find out. Why do we love a good barbecue? Why do we play at least four kinds of football? And why can't we resist a glorious mullet or rat's tail? Come along this series as we dig into these topics and stacks of other facts. I'm your host, Jordan Funker. I'm a historian, teacher, and like the vast majority of Australians, I can't resist a cold beer on a hot day. Slim Dusty sang hit songs about it, former Prime Minister Bob Hawke set records for sculling it, and Tasmanian cricketer David Boone may be just as famous for drinking 52 beers in one flight to London as for his sporting skills. But where did beer come from? What is it made from and how did different types emerge? Who were the first brewers in Australia? And what's the deal with craft beer? This is the happy little history of beer. This episode, I'm joined by Brisbane bartender and beer expert, Matt Wilson. Matt is an absolute legend. I asked him for a 10-minute chat, but ended up with over an hour of fascinating material, which was extremely hard to edit down. Before we get into it, though, I'd just like to acknowledge that alcohol can be an extremely painful subject for many people. If you or any of your loved ones are affected by issues that might be raised, help is always available. Get in touch with Drinkwise, Alcohol Drug Information Service or ADIS, Alcoholics Anonymous, Beyond Blue, Lifeline, Family Drug Support Australia. They all have 24-7 hotlines you can call for support. So, according to the Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, 77% of Australians aged 14 and over have consumed at least a full serve of alcohol this year. The average alcohol consumption per capita in OECD countries is 8.8 litres, with Australia sitting above that at 9.5 litres per capita. Of the alcohol consumed in Australia, beer is the most popular, accounting for 39% of consumption. Over the past 50 years, however, this has decreased hugely from 73% in the 1960s, with wine largely taking its place in an increase from 14% of alcohol consumption in the 60s to 38% now. It appears wine may soon become Australia's drink of choice, but it's still clear that Australians have loved and continue to love their beer. Let's find out how that came to be. 10,000 BC, Mesopotamia, the ancient region which today corresponds largely with Iraq, Syria and Turkey. Malted barley residue has been found in vessels from this time, making the Mesopotamians, and specifically the Sumerians, the first brewers and drinkers of beer. Stories tell it was originally discovered by a baker who had baked some bread and left the bread out overnight for a couple of nights and got a soggy batch ferment when he ate the soggy bread and became drunk. We believe the Sumerians developed the straw for drinking beer as it filtered out the thick bits of bread and herbs. Mmm, chunky beer. <laughs> beer was clearly important to this civilization, appearing in their artwork and mythology. It was made by priestesses and was a key part of Sumerian life in religion, nutrition and economy. When they were eventually conquered by the Babylonians, the first recorded laws around beer were even written, in the Code of Hammurabi around 1750 BC. But Mesopotamia wasn't the only place getting its beer on. There is evidence of Chinese beer dating to 7000 BC, and the first writing about beer crops up in Egypt from 5000 BC. Recorded on papyrus scrolls, Egyptian beer recipes include ingredients like dates, pomegranates and local herbs. And the tomb of Meketri from 2050 BC even includes a set of miniature carved figures showing a brewery at work, with different people making dough and treading it in vats. 
so the Egyptians, what they used to do was actually like make bread, and then they'd get the bread soggy, and then they'd actually knead the bread and knead all the juices out of the fermented bread, and that was the original beer. They'd have hundreds of pots all wind up with a big uh, drain in the top. They'd have all this like old dough that had fermented, and they'd just squeeze it and push it and get all the juices flowing out of it. And yeah, the Egyptians just made insane amounts of beer and became such a big part of their culture. They actually um, paid all the slaves who built pyramids with beer. The Greeks and Romans were more into wine, generally considering beer a lower-class drink for barbarians. The Emperor Julian is credited with a great singer, claiming, Wine smells of nectar, beer smells of goats. It was still being made in some regions, though, and continued to spread across the European continent, where it starts to take on more of the modern form we'd recognise today. At this point, maybe we should be asking what beer actually is. What is it made of? Basically, what you want to know is the four main ingredients that make a beer. First and most important ingredient is definitely water. Water can add flavour to a beer. Um, Beer, at the end of the day, is mostly water. Can you guess a second ingredient? Hops. Hops, sure thing. Hops are definitely a massive, important ingredient. Hops are a type of plant that produce these beautiful flowers. And those flowers are just full of flavour. And there are many native types of hops. And the hops all have their own unique flavours. They can give a flavour of anything from pine nut to then stone fruit to an earthy flavour to a flowery flavour to even like a juicy fruity flavour. The other thing about hops that make them so important is they actually preserve the beer as well as a natural preservative. The third ingredient of beer, definitely another massive and important one, is malt. Any ideas what malt is? The only thing I can think of is Maltesers. Look, someone's probably made a beer with Maltesers by now, but uh, unfortunately that's quite quite right. Malt is uh, the grain that go into making a beer. Right. Uh, so it can be anything from uh, wheat to rye, barley, rice, even. The first thing they want to do is they want to like give them a little, like, push and crack the malt a little bit, and they'll send it through a kiln and roast the malt. The more you actually roast the malt, the more darker it becomes, and it gives off flavours of coffee and toffee and chocolate. And that's how you get a dark beer, like a porter or a stout. The lighter the colour, the less time it's been in the kiln. The darker the colour, the more time it's been in the kiln. And we've got one last ingredient that goes into beer. Yeast. Yeast, spot on. Get out of the beer after it's been roasted. And what the yeast job is, it goes in there and it eats off all the sugars. And then it will expel both alcohol and carbon dioxide. Ales and lagers are probably two most common types of beer. The main difference between them is that a lager has been fermented at a colder temperature with yeast that usually hangs around the lower areas and as opposed to an ale which is fermented at a higher temperature where the yeast is all up around the top of the hill where it's fermenting. Lagers were fermented only about 400 years ago. We're talking 16th century Germany where monks used to first store beer in the cellars of old cathedrals and churches and that's actually where the name lager comes from because love itself is German for cellar and cooler. The Germans are the ones that gave us lagers. The best way to detail a lager and an ale to somebody is if you think of uh, putting a tea bag in a glass of water 
a lager would be a cold glass of water, it usually takes a lot longer for the flavour to come out, and the flavour is not as bold. Whereas a ale would be if you put a tea bag into a cup of boiling water and gave it a good shake, and the flavour is all exposed and released, and quickly like the flavour will then release from the tea bag, and you get a lot more flavour, a lot more aroma. From Germany and the surrounding nations, beer made its way to England, where the drink evolved even further. And from England, of course, it arrived in America and Australia. But before we set sail on the long voyage to Australia, let's stop by a regular segment I like to call Slang Shot. Matt has prepared five slang words about beer, and we get a shot to see how many we can guess correctly. Play along and see what you score. I'm going to definitely start off with a uh, Frosty. Frosty. It's, it's got to be a, a really cold beer, right? Yeah, spot on, yeah. Frosty is definitely that nice, cold, refreshing beer that you want after a long day at work. Uh, word number two I'm going to give you is IPA. IPA. Okay, I drink these all the time, but I don't know if I actually know what it means. Is it um, International Pale Ale? Almost not quite. I don't know. I don't know then. Uh, it's an Indian pale ale. Indian. Okay. Yeah, they're definitely going to... It's basically a pale ale that's been added extra hops to it, so it's going to be a lot more floral or bitter or juicy or fruity than most common pears. Is it called Indian because it's from India, or is there something different there? Uh, something different. Quite close. Um... It's usually back in the 16th century when you had the Indian trade routes. They'd oh. usually send beer across the ocean on ships. But unfortunately, uh, didn't last too well on long journeys. So what they do is they add extra hop to preserve the beer and make it last longer. But it also increased the flavour. Alrighty. So your next word is a bender. Bender. Oh, Bender, you, you're getting wild, you're getting loose. You, you, you're going on a big spree with your mates, drinking for multiple days in a row. That's exactly it. That's if you've had a couple of drinks for more than one day in a row, you're going on a bender. Alrighty, uh, hair of the dog is my next word. Hair of the dog. Now, that really does sound like it's from medieval England, and I think that is probably where it comes from as a, a word for a hangover cure. Well, close too, yeah. Hair of the dog is definitely when you've had a couple of drinks the night before, you're feeling a little bit rusty the next day. Uh, a lot of different cultures believe it's the best way to start the next day and cut from a hangover with another bevy. Next word I have for you is a shandy. Shandy. Oh, I like this as well. This is beer and lemonade or Sprite mixed together. And in Germany, it's called Rattler. Just an extra fun fact from me there. Yeah, no, exactly right. It's for those who like their beer a little bit sweeter. Um, in Australia, it's normally drunk by uh, people from an older generation or people starting out with beer. Now let's get to Australia. Beer came to our shores on the HMS Endeavour in 1770. Yes, old Captain Cook strikes again. A letter from Nathaniel Holm to Joseph Banks in 1768 explains that they should bring a quantity of molasses and turpentine in order to brew beer for your daily drink when your water becomes bad. Brewing at sea will be useful in case you should have stinking water on board, for I find by experience the smell of stinking water will be entirely destroyed by the process of fermentation. 
Indeed, throughout history, beer was an effective way to ensure the relative cleanliness and safety of what was being drunk. Where water could be filled with all kinds of nasty and dangerous stuff, the fermentation process basically knocked that out and preserved the liquid. In the early Australian colony, beer was also promoted as a safer alternative to rum, which in the early 1800s was being rampantly consumed, including by children, and as you can imagine, causing huge problems. Rum was even being used as a currency here around 1800, as it constituted many convicts' pay, and in a way led to Australia's first and only military coup, known as the Rum Rebellion in 1808, when the New South Wales Corps, nicknamed the Rum Corps due to their involvement in the trade, overthrew Governor William Bly. (laughs) But back to the beer. The first brewer in Australia is a title generally granted to James Squire, a convict turned entrepreneur. He ran a farm, bakery, butcher shop, credit union, and was a constable throughout his lifetime. James Squire became Australia's first commercial brewer in 1798. He was also the first person to cultivate hops here in 1804. John Boston is another important name in early Australian brewing, producing beer in 1796, although his was corn-based. In 1824, Peter de Graves started the Cascade Brewery in Hobart, Tasmania, which is still operating after almost 200 years. Coopers began in 1862, Carlton in 1864, Tui's 1869, Castlemaine, which became Brisbane's Forex in 1878, Bogues in 1883, and Foster's in 1887. Sadly, Coopers is the only major Australian brewery which is still Australian-owned, with Japanese Kirin or Lion Group and the Belgian Anheuser-Busch InBev owning everything else since 2011. Of course, there's also now the Australian-owned option of microbreweries and craft beer. Since the 1980s, over 400 new operations have opened. Microbrewery is basically, think of it as between a home brew and a big industrial brew, where they might release, say, five or six different types of beer, and they're not making it on a massive scale, but they can definitely release enough to support uh, themselves and other bars, pubs, bottle shops around the local area. Um, and so, yeah, microbreweries like that have been appearing before COVID in Brisbane alone. There was at least two microbreweries appearing almost every week. Through our history, if you look at European times, there was, if someone could brew beer, their house or their place would become the local hangout for the entire village, which I tried. They'd do like one release per month or so, and then every person that village would come together all in that one house, be merry, have food, have drinks, and like an entire village get together. And that was the origin of the uh, tavern and pub, which is cool because that's actually how um, a lot of breweries are these days. There's been a massive shift about Australia. A lot of breweries, especially the last five years, have shifted to now, when you go to the brewery, they have tap rooms for all the beers. So you can drink there. They also have kitchens, they have food merchandise and the breweries themselves now become basically their own mini pub slash hangout slash festive environment. So we're actually starting to shift shift to go back towards those times. Back to the olden days, I love it. What about beer laws in Australia? In most states from around 1916 until the 1960s, pubs were required to shut by 6pm. Since most Australians worked 9 to 5, this created a phenomenon called the 6 o'clock swill, where between 5 and 6pm, patrons would go and drink as much as they could as fast as they could. 
intended to prevent drinking issues, most people would say it had the opposite effect, giving rise to illegal sly grog venues and a culture of binge drinking which continues today. The six o'clock swill laws were changed in the 1960s, with most pubs open until 10pm and bottle shops began opening too, although these decisions were controversial as well. Until the early 1970s in most Australian pubs, women were not allowed to drink in the public bars with men, instead relegated to separate ladies' lounges. In Brisbane in 1965, a famous protest took place when Rosalie Bognor and Merle Thornton chained themselves to the bar at the Regatta Hotel demanding equal admission. It wasn't until 1970 that Queensland women were finally allowed to drink with the men, and similar protests took place at Sydney's Manly Hotel in 1973. So ladies, next time we're at the pub, let's raise a glass to Rosalie and Merle and the other tenacious women who got us there. The drinking age in all Australian states and territories is 18. This was changed in the early 1970s from 20 in South Australia and Tasmania and 21 in Queensland and Western Australia. Drinking ages and underage drinking have always been controversial, though. Different countries actually introduce different drinking ages and different amounts you can drink at different drinking ages. So if you're exposed to something slowly and introduced to it slowly, even earlier, as opposed to waiting, 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 and then suddenly the floodgates are open. You tell someone they can't do something, then they don't like, no one likes that. So, of course, you're going to want to rebel against that. You want to try things you can't try. And then that leads to, yeah, mass underage drinking and leads to many other issues. But if you open it and allow people to then experience it and you relax from the laws, it won't be as big of an issue. People will then take it as a part of their life and a part of their culture. A lot of us see it as when we were younger, we went all out and tried to do as much as we can because we didn't know anything. And it's definitely a change of uh, drink as much as you can, get as drunk as you can. Woo, that was an awesome night. We went hard as opposed to getting together with a bunch of friends, families, mates, slowly and enjoying it, enjoying the drinking, enjoying the company and enjoying the experience throughout the night rather than uh, getting as much as we can to get to the extreme amount we can and then to end your night on a totally different note. Now, because there's so many like breweries that are popping up and so many people out there who love beer and love making beer, they've changed and altered the way you know, we look at beer and even get beer and drink beer in major cities and they're spreading it throughout the other regions where it's not as much just go and drink a hundred of the local beer, whether it be like Forex Gold or BB or Tui's, it's now, especially with the craft scene, there's a lot of beers out there where they've been made not to mass produce, but because of the flavours that come with them. Enjoying something versus just using something, really. Exactly. That's a big shift and change a lot of people wanted to do. A shift into thinking about it more as any other kind of food or drink that you might enjoy and just seeing it in a completely different light. I've never connected the rise of the craft beers and the microbreweries with a potential cultural change in the way that we think about alcohol before, but I love that. That's so interesting. definitely is. And it takes back to, yeah, like the historically where there was alcohol as an enhancer for foods or just to enjoy an experience with each other. It was never often used to just drink and get absolutely plastered. It was all about the experience, being together, family and friends. That was a major, major part of it. 
I look forward to seeing how the kind of beer landscape changes over the next sort of 10, 20 years, like the changes you've already talked about and what maybe we'll see in this next generation. Maybe they will start to think about these things differently. Same. I'm so excited to see the impact it has on cultures and people. Thanks for joining us this week on Happy Little Histories. I would like to acknowledge the Letter of Mariner people on whose land it was recorded. Huge thanks to the brilliant Penny Hodgson for our theme music and to Brisbane's finest bartender Matt Wilson for being our expert guest. If you'd like to get in touch or stay up to date with all things history, you can follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Happy Little Histories or send us an email to happylittlehistories at gmail.com. Until next time, stay happy!